Good morning, everybody. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, Jesus is speaking here and says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is living and active. It is powerful, and it is able to plunge into the deepest parts of who we are. And we look forward to what your word will do in us today. Help us as we look at our perceptions, as we deal with the expectations of life. We pray, God, that you will overshadow our thinking. Whatever we're facing, Lord, we know you're bigger than whatever we face. And so we're thanking you, Lord, that as we look into your word today, you're going to give us fresh insight, and we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, in opening up this little portion of his talk, says, you know, you're going to have to listen carefully if you want to get this. Uh, There are times, you know, when I have uh, read through the scripture, and, and I'm sure this is your experience too, and you come back to a verse, and it's like it jumps out, and you go, why did I never see that before? Why did I never see that before? Um, and sometimes it uh, depends on what we're going through. It depends on the pace in which we're reading it. Uh, but for whatever reason, he's saying, I want you to focus in on this. In verses 16 and 17, he talks about expectations and then demands that are based on this. And, it, and it's basically like this. The, the children are playing some music and they change their tune, and, and yet they wonder, why aren't you, you know, if we say dance, you should dance. If we say mourn, you should mourn. Um, and everybody has to face to some level this uh, burden of expectation because people expect things out of you, and you don't dance every time somebody sings. And you don't cry at the drop of a hat because somebody plays a certain tune. Uh, and then based on these expectations that come, he's saying that uh, there are perceptions and judgments that get made based on the expectations that people place on us. Uh, And so he's saying, how do you keep up with this? How do you live according to everybody's expectations and you can't change everybody's perceptions of you and, and he's saying, you know, John the Baptist was really good, a really good, uh, you know, forerunner for him. And, you know, and they're saying, wow, he's got a demon because he eats things differently than what we, you know, uh, think people should eat. So they formed a perception about John the Baptist. Jesus comes doing everything that they thought they should do. And they go, wow, you know, he's, he's a gluttonous person and he's a wine bibber and we don't like the people he hangs around with. But he closes with the statement, which I think is really good. He says, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. If you're up against the pressure of perceptions, or maybe you have your own perceptions of things that may or may not be correct, Jesus really says, you know, 
slow down a little bit here. Wisdom is vindicated by your deeds. I, I have said for a long time that time is on the side of truth. If you live the right way and do the right thing, people may not immediately understand you. Uh, they may have expectations that you're not willing to just dance to or cry to at the drop of a hat. Or you may find that people may not view you the way that either you want to be viewed or you think you should be viewed. But give it time. And uh, wisdom is vindicated by your deeds. Wisdom is not always immediately perceived in this life. In fact, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it says that there are different kinds of wisdom. As a Christian, I would be stupid to think that there's nobody in the world that has any wisdom. But the Bible says there is a natural wisdom, an earthly wisdom. Um, There's even a demonic type of wisdom. And so a lot of times, you know, uh, people will give all their attention, wow, and they're wowed by things, but it doesn't mean that it's actually the Word of God. It doesn't mean that it is the wisdom of God. And so on, on, on one surface, you'd say that's really wise. So, and, and my perception of reality is not necessarily reality. And that's why we need to slow down. That's why the Bible tells us that, you know, we need to be careful about judging because, um, you know, if, you, if you're a little too off the cuff in your judgment of other people, you may uh, misjudge them. You may perceive them incorrectly. And let me tell you this, if they, if they misinterpreted Jesus and misperceived him and didn't get him, they're not going to get you either, okay? And I always say, why should I expect to get a better rap than what Jesus got, okay? And so people are not always going to perceive you. How many have ever been misunderstood by somebody, okay? How many think it's just the greatest feeling ever? You know, they misinterpret what you said. They misinterpret what you didn't do, you know. And, and you know, maybe you didn't make it to that gathering, you know, for the family. And they go, well, you know, she never loved the family. Well, no, it had nothing to do with that. You got stuck behind an accident on the highway. And by the time you were able to get through the traffic jam, you didn't make it. it had nothing to do with whether you wanted to be there or not. It's a misjudgment that's based on a misperception. So my perception of reality is not necessarily reality. And even if it's a correct perception, it may not, it may be incomplete and and could be deceiving. Now, my daughter and I have this little friendly competition going on because, you know, we had been missionaries and I had traveled and, uh, you know, done children's ministry overseas and been to different countries. And so I always, it was interesting to me, if you're not a traveler, if it's not, then you probably think how dumb, you know. But anyway, I like to tally where I've been, how many times I've been in that country, how many countries I was in. My daughter's picked up on that too. So she'd say, how many countries you've been to now, Dad? You know, and she would like to get right over the, you know, the uh, brink of that hill and just say, oh, I've been to more countries than my dad. Well, I'm reading a book now that's called uh, uh, Every Country in the World in 50 Years. Around the World in 50 Years. And the, the guy's goal is to be in every country. Now, I thought it was a little friendly competition that my daughter and I had. But this guy, and, and, and let's say there are other people. I mean, they take this thing seriously. I mean, and, and so they say that unless you uh, get off the plane, go through customs... 
leave the airport and book a hotel and stay overnight, you weren't in that country. Now, on my little list, and my daughter and I have talked about this, but on my little list, I say that I was in Turkey. Now, they would perceive what I did as not being in Turkey. Why? Because I got off the plane, and I went into the airport, and I had a doner kebab. I ate it, okay? I remember flying in and seeing the Hagia Sophia, uh, which has now been turned into a mosque in the city of Istanbul, okay? They would say, no, you weren't in Turkey. Why? Because I didn't leave the airport, and I didn't stay overnight. But my question is, they would say that I can't count that because I wasn't really there. Now, my question was, where was I? Where was I? If I wasn't in Turkey, that airport is on Turkish soil, okay? The food was made by Turkish people. I consumed the food they made. Uh, Where was I? Was it was an international zone? Well, that's a perception. I was in Turkey. Anyway, knowledge is a general awareness or a possession of information and facts and ideas and truths or principles even. And uh, based on knowledge, we uh, develop our own perceptions of things. And based on these perceptions, we make choices. Now, knowledge can make people react. And if it's limited knowledge, they may even make wrong choices. Uh, And that's why they say you need to really gather the information before you make that choice. You know, you don't go out and just say, hey, I'm going to buy that house. Okay, have you had an inspection yet? Do you know what's going on in the guts of that house? Do you know who owned it? You know how old it is? Oh, I don't need to know all that stuff. You know, I'm just going to get it. Well, you better really, really have a word from the Lord if you're going to do something like that without gaining knowledge. But partial knowledge can be dangerous. Put it this way, knowledge doesn't make you wise. Knowledge doesn't make you wise. Wisdom is that piercing perception of things that goes deeper and broader than knowledge. With knowledge, you know something. With wisdom, you know the right thing to do with it. I have met some people that, you know, would, what we would say, well, they're not very, you know, well-educated, or but they are extremely wise because they have a discernment about taking what they know and how they have walked through life and are able to put that together in such a way. And, and then, you know, uh, I have met some people that are so educated that could hardly punch their way out of a paper bag, if you know what I mean. To put it plainly, I've known knowledgeable people who act foolishly or at best unwisely. Why? Because you can't know everything. And you you may be well-educated in one phase or in one part of life, but that doesn't make you an expert on life. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Wisdom waits for the clearer and the broader understanding of reality. Uh, We don't see everything like we should at first. Uh, and we don't know everything. And Paul said that we actually see through a glass darkly, and we know in part. Have you ever met a know-it-all? You ever met a know-it-all? Well, know-it-alls are really known parts. They don't know it all. 
and they think what they do know or what they do master makes them a master of everything. But really, they only know a part of it. But faith enables us to broaden our understanding of reality and sharpen our sensibilities and to open ourselves to a divine perspective. Now, we tend to look at the problems that we're facing uh, through a very limited scope. Let me give you just a little story on how I began to see that God, uh, God sees things differently than I see them and how I can get very focused, very up against the wall over there, just looking at the brick in front of my face and losing perspective and not seeing the whole building. Um, when I was uh, working with my dad in Ohio, uh, this was in the 80s, there was great trouble in the country of Sri Lanka. We had a missionary that had been there for 27 years. Her name was Rosa Reinecker. And when I lived in Germany, I worked uh, with her because she had retired from Sri Lanka. And they said, you know, because she was German, why don't you head up the ICI office, etc. So I had worked with her for a number of years. And I was planning on going to England, Germany, and Austria with a team. Um, I was a children's pastor, so I had puppets and I, you know, I had, you know, object lessons. I had balloons to make balloon animals with. I had all my stuff. And you know what? It, it helps to kind of, you know, be a little bit of a nut as a children's pastor, you know, but you still need stuff. You know what I mean? I'm coming in here with this. As a children's pastor, if you show up with this, you know, you need more stuff. I needed stuff. Okay, so she wrote to me and said, I'm back in Sri Lanka. The superintendent there asked her to come back for a few years. She said, would you come and do a seminar for children's ministry at the Bible school in Sri Lanka? I thought, cool. I've never been there before. I'd love to go there. And so I thought, I, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I said I would come. And then right away, here you see that Sri Lanka was going through a time of turmoil. We lived in Ohio. Two Ohio couples had just been kidnapped in Sri Lanka, and they were being held, and they didn't know when they were going to be released. Somebody told the Youngstown Vindicator that I was going to be going to Sri Lanka, and they were, you know, concerned, you know, about my safety, and I must be so brave going to Sri Lanka, you know. So they set up an interview. They came in. They took a picture of all these puppets and, you know, and everything that I was doing. They thought, wow, you know, this guy's really brave. You know, I never felt a bit of fear about being kidnapped or having anything happen to me. You know what I was focused on? How am I going to get my trunks there and back to Europe to meet my team? So what happens very often is that if, if we're faced with a dilemma or faced with a fear, we kind of take over and come up with alternatives. This is how I'm going to deal with this. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to take one trunk with me. I'm going to leave the stage and the other trunk for the team to bring over, and then uh, and I'll be fine. So I worked that all out until just about a week before I was supposed to go. I got another letter from Sister Reinecker, and she said, they're really excited about you coming and the fact that you're going to be doing this uh, uh, at the uh, Bible school. So they've planned a three-day kids meeting at the main church in Colton. We'll be doing uh, Brother Colton's church in Colombo. And we're going we're gonna to do a half hour in the Tamil language and then a half hour in Singala. And uh, it'll be interpreted, which meant that the half hour goes to an hour in each one. And 
And so I'm thinking, oh, oh and then we're going to be going up into the mountains to the orphanage called Friedsloh, which was started by Swedish missionaries. And I thought, I'm only going to be there a week, and I've got these meat. I have to bring everything. So the decision was made, Lord, my plan was just ruined because of more expectation that was laid on me. What are you going to do to bring this all about? So I was concerned about my stuff. I wasn't concerned about personal safety. But just a few days before I left, I remember in the middle of the night, I woke up in a cold sweat. I could not sleep. It was like darkness had just entered into my room. And I thought, I thought, they're going to kill me over there. I mean, I'd never thought this before. Even when they were interviewed, aren't you afraid? No, I wasn't afraid. But this, this darkness that came in and just enveloped my room overtook me. And I thought, oh, i gotta, I got to go for a walk. Two o'clock in the morning, I get up, change my clothes, get ready to go. I took a walk, and I walked around and around that complex, praying in tongues and just asking God to help me and, and protect. Oh, Lord, let this thing lift, whatever it is. And and after a half hour of that, nothing happened. So I came back in. I did something really spiritual. I turned on the TV so I could maybe just kind of distract myself. Turn that thing on. Blue screen. And this hand comes in with a briefcase like this, with gloves on. Dun, 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 dun. Sets it down. Another hand comes in. Click, click. Opens it up. And right inside of this old-fashioned, you know, hard-sided briefcase, they call them like an attache, um, it opens up. Do you remember when you used to fly, they gave you an envelope and put the tickets in that had the, it said United Airlines on it? I was flying on United Airlines. That's what was on the ticket envelope. Then printed across the top, which they didn't print where you were going on top of it, but on this ticket envelope, it said Sri Lanka. How many think it had my attention at that point? First thing that comes on, tickets on the airline I'm going on, says Sri Lanka. And they said, you know what? You may not be called on to go to countries in the world where you could be kidnapped or, or shot, you know, and who knows what could happen. It's dangerous traveling today. And I thought, why do you think I'm awake? <laughs> and so it went on explaining a little bit in this little clip. And then it says, but tune in on Tuesday. Tune in on Tuesday, and uh, we're going to be doing a report on how to keep yourself safe when you're traveling. The problem was, I was leaving on Monday. I wasn't going to see this show. The other hands come in, close it, click, click, lifts it up, but turns around to go out this way, and on the other side was this big target. Boom! This gun goes off and goes right through the bullseye. Tune in on Tuesday, and we'll tell you. And I, I thought, how many think that's a little uncanny? That I would—that was the thing that came on just as I turned on the TV. But you know what? At that moment, I just said, "Devil, you just went too far." He overplayed his hand, and I said. I believe that Jesus is going to protect me, and I'm going to be just fine. You know what? I went up and went back to bed, and I felt fine. I slept great. And by the way, all my 
Trunks got there, my big double bag, Rosignalski bag, you know, with my puppet stage got there. Everybody looked like you're nuts. You hit the wrong plane when I got off there in this tropical country, you know. But I made it. The thing was is that God changed my perception of the situation by letting me see into this that he has the ability to override whatever I am feeling, whatever I am thinking about a situation. And for me, this is my great understanding of faith is that my experience in life are the same as anybody else, but I have a God that is bigger who can enable me to see things about my situation that I can't see with my own perception my own knowledge. He will grant me wisdom. He will pour in or open my eyes to see things. So we, we do. We have to broaden our understanding of reality. If, if the world were limited to my sense of reality, what a small world it would be. People often say, I have to see it to believe it. Well, if my reason alone is the measure of reality, then I'm missing a lot. If, if only what we see is what is real, then my goodness, what a small, small place this would be. Blaise Pascal, who was, let me, let me just give you the list of what he was, and, and this man then became a Christian. He was a French mathematician. He was a physicist, an inventor, a writer, and he was a Christian philosopher. Pascal's earliest work was in the natural and applied sciences where he made important contributions to the study of fluids that were foundational for that study today and and clarified the concepts of pressure and vacuum. And Pascal also wrote in defense of the scientific method. In 1642, while he was still a teenager, when I read about these people, I thought, oh my goodness, I was not tracking like that when I was a teenager. 1642, while he was still a teenager, he started some pioneering work, 1642, on calculating machines. After three years of effort and 50 prototypes, he built 20 finished machines, called Pascal's calculators, and later they called them uh, Pascalines. Over the following 10 years, establishing him as one of the first two inventors of the mechanical calculator. He saw something. This is what amazes me about inventors, and thank God. Not everybody was saying, I think someday there might be something called a computer. There might be someday something called a calculator. You know, we have lights in here. You know, not everybody was saying, oh, I wish somebody would go ahead and create a light bulb so we could have light in our rooms. No, it took, it took somebody that saw something, somebody that had a perception that was greater than the reality of the moment that said, I think there's a way that we could bring electricity and and unite it with this... I don't even understand it. I don't even know how to explain it. But he did it. And, And he had such insight, Thomas Edison did, that... After a thousand failed attempts, it happened. That, that takes somebody that has a keen eye, that has a perception, that sees something out of the ordinary, sees something that other people don't see. It challenges me to go, Kurt, you don't see everything. You're, you're even looking at your difficulties and your problems sometime with your own frame of reference. You're only looking at things the way that you've read about or heard about or, or how things have gone up to this point. Stop for a second and just say, broaden my sense of reality to see that if I don't know it, it doesn't mean that it's not real. If I don't know the answer yet, then God still has something waiting in the wings to reveal to me. Blaise Pascal said this, 
The heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. See, a lot of people say reason is everything. Here is a very, very intelligent philosopher, an inventor, and mathematician. He's saying, but the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. He's saying there are things beyond our normal level of perception. Yes, with all he knew, he knew there was more. Faith tells me that there's more things just as real, even though they're not seen. Isn't that what the Bible says? Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In John 20, 29, we read, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. You know, there are places that I've never been. Some people have been there, but I haven't been there. That doesn't mean because I haven't been there and seen it that um, it's not real. There, there are things that I've not studied, but some people have studied them. There are things that I've never seen, but some people have. You know, the National Geographic a number of years ago uh, took their underwater cameras and lit up parts of the ocean that had never been explored before. And it, it was the most beautiful documentary because you saw fish down there that people had not seen before. And, and the thing, and, and it was being lit up for the first time. It was like God had created those and God was the only one enjoying them. But we can't say because they had never been seen before that they weren't real. And once the lights went out, they only stayed then from then on under the purview of God. What I'm saying is there are so many things that we don't know about yet. And in the realm of the supernatural, I'm saying there is so much more that God wants to do. There's so much that is going on. And, and that's why Jesus say, if you've got you know, ears to hear, listen. If you've got eyes to see, open and see. There were hundreds of witnesses that saw Jesus after his resurrection. I didn't see him. They said they did. And you know what? I believe them. And because I believe them, not only has it opened my eyes to see things, but I opened up my eyes and my ears to Jesus. I opened my heart to Jesus. And had I not believed the witnesses that saw him and recorded what they had seen, I would never have experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ in my life. As my understanding broadens, in some ways my thinking will loosen, and in some ways my thinking will tighten. I said, you know, following Jesus has made me more liberal than I ever thought I would be, and it has made me more conservative than I ever thought I would be. You know, I pray, order my thinking according to your word, O Lord. You know, I became balanced when I came to Jesus. And somebody asked me in my church once, you talk a lot about balance. What's that mean? It means I'm too much for some people and not enough for others. And, and so you say, well, if you're balanced, that must mean that some people tune you out. Yeah, on both ends. But you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy with being balanced. Faith enables me to see more clearly. And even the clearest thinkers don't see everything. Specialists, see more clearly in their field of study, but they're not masters of everybody else's field. 
You know, uh, when I was in East Lansing, you know, of course, it's a university town. At one time, we had 16 medical doctors in our church. And then we had a guy who had graduated from MSU, too. He had his Ph.D. in marine biology. My question was, and, I would, and, and, and they understood what I was saying, we appreciated Goran uh, for, Joran was his name, he was from Sweden, and uh, we appreciated him for his understanding of marine biology. And not all, even all the doctors were specialists in the same field. My question was, and I said, if I need surgery, would I go to Joran? No, I would search out the medical doctor that knows what he's talking about in that field. I wouldn't go to, to Goran and just say, hey, slip me open. I've got this pain. I need you to explore it. No way. Go take care of the fish. That was his area of expertise. And so there are things which I face which everybody doesn't know about. How many have ever entertained opinions of others that you just as soon wish you had not heard? Because not everybody has an opinion about your situation, really knows what they're talking about. And you can very politely not pay attention to those things. But there are people that know. And I'm just trying to get myself to see more and more that, that Jesus is a great expert on so many of these things that I am facing, that you're facing, that we don't see. And and. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That hymn went. And it's so true. There are things that God wants to show. But we have to increase the sharpness of our sensibilities. We become overwhelmed by the mundane and the routine. We get into mental ruts, much like my dad's, uh, dad's team of horses. When he learned how to ride, to drive that team of horses with the wagon in the upstate mountains of New York, my grandfather would say, Oliver, just get that horse, get them moving, and get the wheels into the rut, and we'll go back and we'll fill this wagon with lots of logs, he said, but just get it in there, and it'll pretty much go the same way all the time. The thing is, is in following Jesus, I have found that he gets me out of my ruts, Ruts are safe. Ruts are predictable. But if I'm going to follow the Lord, he's going to go drive that team of horses and get out of the rut and see where I'll take you. We can lose the freshness. We can lose the touch of wonder in our lives. We can lose the cutting edge of our insights. I never want to become dull. And now let me give you these uh, verses you can look up later. Uh, I'll read Hebrews 5.11, which says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And, and so since it's just past noon, I'm not going to read the other verses because hunger can overtake our ability to hear. But... You know, when I start to read the Scripture and you have a hamburger in your perception at that moment, it's like, whoa. Matthew 13, 13 through 17. Read those, and it talks about our eyes. Let me close with this last point. We have to open ourselves up to the divine perspective, which is God's perception of things. God, God views things differently than we view them. Faith 
And th- this is so important. Faith does not oppose my reason. Okay, when people say, you know, I have to see it to believe it, or I'd rather deal with reason and faith. You know, Christians are just as wrong when they say, I live by faith and I don't use my brain. Okay, that's that's just as wrong. Faith does not oppose my reason, but helps me to remain open to perspectives other than my own, because my reason will only go so far. It helps me to see to believe in, to hope in realities that go far beyond my limitations. Okay, here's a, a little story of Elisha and his servant. And, and I hope that when we look at what happens with Elisha and his servant, then, then it'll just give us a little something that every time we're, we're focused on what's coming down the driveway, that God will just lift our vision. 2 Kings 6.15. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Okay, he saw what was happening. The enemy is circling the city. How many would say that is very real? Okay, now some people say, that's not real, it's not real. No, it's not real. It is real. They were surrounding them. That's what the servant saw. That's what was coming against him. So he answered, this is Elijah, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Unless he was seeing something, His servant didn't see it, you know? And this is my point. Faith is crazy if you're just talking into the air. But faith is not, oh, I hope, I hope, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, faith actually sees a greater reality. It's actually beholding something. And and so he said, do not fear those who are with us are more. Than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. He now was seeing what Elisha was already seeing. He now was perceiving something that Elisha was already perceiving. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's what's coming against me. My direct vision. That's all it took. Open his eyes to see. It's like a little change in perspective. A little redirection of the spiritual eyeballs and surrounded by help. We hear people say, I don't Go for that faith stuff. I prefer dealing with reality. Like it's faith or reality. Faith doesn't deny reality. It just sees the bigger picture. Faith is the greater reality. My reality is what happens to me in the natural realm. What happens to me, within me. But through faith, I'm able to see 
that God has a lot more things going on around me. And faith enables me to tap in to what God has going on in that greater reality. Elisha's servant focused on what was coming down the driveway and got overwhelmed by what he saw. Elisha saw the armies of the Lord behind them in the spiritual realm. So while he's going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, look where, oh, what are they going to do? Are they going to chop my arm off? They're going to chop my head off? What are they going to do? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Elisha's sitting there calmly, and he's, wow. Wow. It made him calm. Why? He just saw something at that point. He saw what was coming, but his breadth of vision and faith enabled him to see, you're coming against me, but look what's surrounding you. The king's armies were the servant's reality. The Lord's armies were Elisha's greater reality. The servant just needed to lift his eyes a little higher to see what the Lord was doing instead of focusing on what this earthly king was doing. We need to be willing to ask, whatever you're facing today, Lord, am I missing something in this? I see what my reality is. I see what's coming. But Lord, could it be that somehow you're going to grab a hold of this and work something out through this that I don't see? Is there something surrounding what is surrounding me? And the thing is, is I don't want to be overwhelmed by what is trying to overwhelm me. I want it to be overwhelmed. And this, back to resurrection and the cross, which is so central for our faith. What does it say? Death is a reality. But it says, for the Christian, death is what? Swallowed up in victory. What that means is, I am going to face death someday, but my death is swallowed up in the victory of the Lord. And so it becomes just an experience for me. It's not the end of stuff for me. It becomes an experience, and I will enter into the joy of the Lord. We need to ask ourselves, have my senses become dulled on this? Am I, have I gotten so worked up about what I'm facing that, that I, I'm not even saying, Lord, show me something. It's like, I already know what's going to happen. Do you really? And, you know, God has not yet weighed in on it. I know exactly what you're thinking because I've been there before where my nose was pressed up against the wall and all I could see was what I saw right like this. And yet God gets a hold of that situation and says, come on, back up, Kurt, back up and let me show you. Have my eyes become so glazed over to where I'm only looking at things from a human perspective? Here's a good reminder. Just say, God, I see what's surrounding me. I see what's coming down the driveway. I'm just asking you, come gently take your hand and place it under my chin and lift it up so I can see that whatever my reality is, through prayer, through the Word, through your presence, I can tap into a greater reality. And I don't need to be overwhelmed by this because you're bigger than this. You are bigger than this. Would you stand with me, please? With everybody closing your eyes, how many would say, I've got something big that I'm facing right now. 
and I, but I need, I just, I need my eyes open to see how God can deal with this, to see what, what, how he's going to bring all of the resources my way. And, and, and part of it is, Lord, I'm asking right now for everybody that has their hand up saying, pray for me. I'm asking you to come now and take your hands, put it underneath their chin, and just begin to gently lift their head so that they can begin to see that you know things about this. You have a greater power to overwhelm that, which is threatening to overwhelm them in this moment. I am praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and descend into every one of these situations. You know, the, the, the Bible says that God causes all things to work together. That's a key in the original language. All things work together. They don't all work together on their own. The key in the original is, is that God causes all things to work together for good. Not everything that happens to you is good. But it says that God is able to get a hold of that thing and begin like, you know, like tough steel to bend and shape that and bring good out of it. It's hard to see that when all you can see is what's coming down the driveway. But my prayer for you today is that God will just begin to show you that surrounding whatever's coming at you is a greater army. He tells us in the Word, He gave His angels charge concerning you. Lord, send the armies of angels. For everybody that's raised their hand today, Lord, I'm asking that you will bring something to bear on this situation that they have not thought about because, Lord, we don't have to think about it for you to do something about it. You just ask us in faith believing to say, God, I know you have stuff out there and I'm asking you to bring it all to bear right now on whatever it is my brothers and my sisters are facing. I pray a supernatural calm of God would just settle in over their hearts so that they can sit there over lunch today and say that, like Elisha, I want to sit here because I see what's on the mountaintop. I want to just sit there calmly. I'm not going to allow fear, hysteria, or anything to overwhelm me because, yes, this is happening, but my God is also happening. My God is also bringing things my way in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, as we leave this place today, We leave with the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding. Why? Because the peace that comes from you transcends life experience and goes into the experience of the supernatural. So let that enter into every heart today. And we're we're just going to purpose in our hearts to focus on what you've got and not worry about the limited resources we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a blessed Sunday.